0: for downloading this recording of Contemporary Curiosity, a panel discussion produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia for the Vernissage Weekend of the 2016 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art. This panel probes curiosity as a human urge, one that unites the scientist, the historian, the artist and the philosopher. West Australian academic and writer Ted Snell facilitates this discussion with artists Heatherby Swan, Nell And Kate Rode. Magic.
1: Welcome everyone to the Gingerbread House for our topic today, which is contemporary curiosity. Something which I'm sure you all have, and it's certainly something that all the artists have. And it's one of the reasons anyway that we've all got interested in art at some point, I'm sure. First of all, I would like to acknowledge that we meet today on Ghana land and to acknowledge the Ghana people as the original owners and cultural and spiritual custodians of their country. Because this is about curiosity, we're all very curious about how this is going to work. (laughs) So we're going to just see how it flows. We're going to interact with each other wherever possible. And we would like you to interact with us as well. So if you've got a question, please put up your hand. We'll give you a mic. You don't have to wait till the end. Um, And your questions will be recorded. So... If you don't want your question recorded, please don't put up your hand. But if you do, this session is being recorded for a podcast, so you will be able to hear it later. Go all the way back, find your little voice. There you go, and you'll be able to hear it. Okay. I'm not going to introduce the three artists and give you a little bio for a couple of reasons. One, because I think you probably know them already. Secondly, because you've probably seen their work, and that's, I think, anyway, the most important thing, and their work is extraordinary. And thirdly, because actually, that's what we're going to do here in this session, you're going to find out about them and how they work. So apart from saying Heather B. Swan, Kate Road, and Nell, I'm not going to give you a long bio. Um, we will uncover about each other as we go along. My name, however, is Ted Snell, and um, my Adelaide um, title is that I'm the chair of ETH, and I'm very proud of that, so I think I'll stick with that one for today. Okay, well, I started off my interest, really, um, in this whole area of curiosity when I was fortunate enough to come into contact with an artist called Stan Hopewell. Stan was 80 years old before he started painting. And initially, his wife became very ill and he decided that he was going to frame some of her works for her and put them in the room because she was unwell. As she became less and less able to identify what he was doing, he started to improve them. And then, over time, he began to paint and paint and paint because he made a pact with his God that as long as he kept painting, Joyce would stay alive. And within three years, he filled the house. He filled the walls, the ceiling. You couldn't even make a cup of tea in the kitchen because there were paintings everywhere. And what was fascinating about it was his extraordinary curiosity in finding out, first of all, about how to make paintings, because he had never painted before, and then his curiosity about trying to gather together everything in his life, all the things that he remembered, all the things about he and Joyce going on holidays to New Zealand, when they were married in England, and he gradually gathered together all this information. The day Joyce died, Stan stopped painting So this whole area of curiosity is is something which I am particularly interested and excited about. And in our conversations, I must say too, I just wanted to thank Lisa because I've just got three new best friends (laughs) and we've had such fun planning this session, talking about how it's going to happen. And one of the questions that we decided would be the best way to start this was to say, well, look, how does curiosity shape or form or how does it appear in your practice? So that's the first question. And I'm going to throw to Nell.
2: Okay. Well, um, am I on? Yep. Are you here? Yeah. Cool. Um, in a very real sense, um, having a practice is a commitment to curiosity mm. and a commitment to the unknown. And um, yeah, we, we spoke. We met for lunch yesterday, and we were talking about um, you know the zone when you're in the zone and things flow. And Kate brought that up. And I was saying it's really interesting because that's actually just a byproduct of practice. It's not the aim necessarily, it's just something that arises. And what I'm looking for in my practice is evenness in that practice. So when there's not good times, or accidents, or that you don't react, or the unknown, you can be curious. It's actually no different to the good times. Mm. So that's what I try and do very much in my practice. Can we flick to my slides? Or you yes, got, yeah. It. There
1: you go. Here we are. I'll just we we'll put them into. A, so we'll have to wait a second because Nell's uh, on a bit. But you're seeing all headers, by the way. <laughs> you're getting a wonderful preview. I did a slight fade. That was clever, wasn't it? <laughs> I thought at the time it was clever. Okay.
2: There you go, Kate. Okay. Um, Benel, oh, the, the oh, thank you. Um, this is a, a little painting that I just put in to illustrate um, yeah, my relationship to curiosity in my practice. It's actually a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. I'm not prone to quoting American presidents. However, um, he said, do what you can where you are with what you've got. And In a sense, that just sums up for me the whole matter of Practice, and that's kind of my mantra, my studio mantra, and it has been for many years. So, you know, you don't wait for the big studio in New York for the right materials. If it's kitchen table, it's kitchen table. It, if you can't afford the materials that you want, it doesn't matter. You do what you can right where you are with what you've got, and it, that's when the magic happens. And you see it over and over and over again through art history and, and all kinds of creative enterprises, scientific discoveries. It's when someone did what they could with what they had. That's when the door's open.
1: And it's the consistency of keeping at it.
2: Yeah, that's a Under practice. You, t- you just keep turning up Yeah, regardless in the condition that you're in. Anyway, that's me in general. <sighs> Wonderful.
3: <laughs> Kate? Um, well, I guess my sort of uh, the curiousness in my practice kind of covers a lot of things. For me, there's a lot of curiosity around materials and... Um, I, I kind of have a few... I, I guess I have a sort of a, a, a bit of a collection of materials that I really like to work with, and I'm always curious about how they can be um, pushed and manipulated and, and taken to the extreme. And And I kind of feel that this week as I've been setting up here, that that's one of the things I've really, you know, noticed because I was in a very... Uh, I was in the, the vestibule, so I, I wasn't sort of separated away from the, the general... You know, the general public were constantly coming in as I was setting up and and everyone I think pretty much everyone who came up to you know who to talk to me the question they wanted to know was about the materials that you know they had this curiosity about the materials and what I was doing with them and they're all you know like they're all pretty amazing it's a bit like what Nell was saying about like you do what you can with what you've got and so one of the materials I really love to work with is this thing called acrylic gut filler, which is just a very cheap, um, you know, SPAC fillery type product from you know good old Bunnings, and um, and and people would just you know like all people who'd only ever sort of I guess experienced it as you know as a as something that they'd fill a, a crack in the wall with in their house were, were really. Amazed to see it being used to, you know, make an, an artwork in the, you know, Art Gallery of South Australia. And in a, in a sort of more general sense, like a lot of my work has been inspired over the years by um, the, the sort of Wunderkammer aesthetic and the, the, you know, that, um, again, that sign, you know, that sort of I... The original museums that were more just a random collection of objects thrown together without any real scientific sorting. But in a way, that was like the beginning of that sorting process was just by throwing them all in and then, you know, looking looking at how they relate and, um, and, and the fact that they're arranged more by an, an aesthetic interest rather than a, a scientific interest was quite intriguing to me. So I might just show if you with... Oh, there's... up oh, here. Here we go. So I've just got a few photos. Oh, yep. a so there's the rest. You know? There's some more now. <laughs> <laughs> so keep keep <laughs> going.
2: That's me. Yeah.
3: So, yes, yeah, so this... Um, Work is is a, a bit of a, a, a the sort of Wunderkammer inspired inspired by the um, idea the those the kind of fraudulent curiosities the things like the Fiji mermaid and where people were you know before we were sort of very well sort of globalised and knowledgeable about all parts of the world the. The kind of sewing together of like a fish and a monkey and selling it as a as a real thing and but then also the you know interesting stories about you know like people thinking the platypus was a hoax when it most mm. certainly was not and you know there's sort of that um, skepticism sometimes but and um, so these works kind of span about a, a ten year period this being the old one the oldest piece and this was very much inspired by. Those kind of palatial, um, kind of Wunderkammery environments. And in this case, this was probably my first really materially experimental and and curious kind of installations where I was trying to, you know, on a a shoestring budget. So I was trying to recreate this very, you know, opulent um, Versailles like interior. And I basically had, um, you know, my good old, my old favourite acrylic gap filler. you know, perspex, some perspex, some house paint and, and paper mache and that's essentially, you know, a bit of MDF, that's pretty much all of what this body of work is, is made from.
1: Versailles on the Bunnings budget. Yes, yeah,
3: the, uh, <coughs> the Bunning, Bunnings Versailles. <laughs> and then this is um, the sort of the, the first staging of the work that um, is in the the show here. And this also represents that over the years, as my, my budget has been able to e- expand a little bit, I've become very interested in working with um, resin. And this kind of body of work, I guess, um, summarises the most sort of ambitious kind of, you know, explorations of that use for me, which is often when I go and I, like, buy the, the products, I say to the people in the shop, oh, can I use it this way? And they're like, oh, no, we don't think so. And so, of course, then I'm, I'm, um, you know, desperate to prove challenge. them. Yeah, I'm like desperate to prove them wrong. Yeah. So, so for uh, this sort of bodywork, largely is is me uh, proving the the technical specs wrong in making these sort of big vases, and um, you know, and it's because it's because I, I'm, you know, of that curiosity and and that uh, element of. Investigation that I, you know, that I was able to do it. So, so I guess, yeah, that's generally curiosity in my practice in a sort of large nutshell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Now, Heather, you, you... Heather wrote this beautiful document with lots of ideas when we were first talking about what we were going to talk about. And you said that artists are inquirers, magnificent obsessors and starers into space.
4: I think we certainly are. <laughs> um, I spend a lot of my time staring into space and... Um, was, now I'm not questioned so much about it because I think as you become more established as an artist, especially in your own family, they realise you're not just sitting around looking at nothing. (laughs) You're often looking at the heel of somebody's shoe or um, a buckle or a tree with a slice of life. So I think, and I know we, I think we we as humans are all curious, but as an artist, it's... um, it's one of our materials. It is... It is. It is. It's uh, My modus operandi is to always be looking, always to be gathering, learning as much stuff into my head as possible. And then, in a way, when I start to make a new body of work, I like to completely empty my head out. But over the, over the years, obviously, you have this accumulation of all of the things you've seen in all of the places, and you've got all of these little notes and pieces of... Advice and bad advice about material use, etc., etc., et cetera. And the, um, the funny little things that you've seen, the most important things you've seen. And, then, and they all form clusters and groups in your, in your own vocabulary of shapes and ideas. And they shift around, shuffle around, a bit like those Banksy men down there, secretly when you're not looking, and form the shapes that we then produce so... That's how curiosity works for me in my practice. I guess it's like being in a perpetual state of wonder about everything and how things collide and collide in strange ways, which is why we need to keep being curious as artists and really get out there and look at as much stuff as possible so that we've got this wonderful source to work from. Mm. You said
1: then. I mean, I think one of the things which is interesting is that you've all got totally different ways of being curious. So there's no clearly no identifiable process. You can't just say this is how you are. Everyone's curious in a different way. But of course, curiosity leads you in lots of different directions. How do you how do you contain it? because once you get interested in one thing that it opens up the door to something else and something else as you were saying and again, all of a sudden it sort of expands it's
4: very hard as a sculpt and I'm sure you two might agree with me is because when you're making sculpture you become so involved in making one particular thing and your mind's going off and thinking oh I could have done it this way but you're going down that track and often I do change things as I go along but yes, it's, um, that's when you do you break out Draw them down. <laughs> I've got books full of um, notes and sculptures that need to be made, yes. Need to be made, yes. <laughs> Need to be made, or <laughs> waiting, or, or like, you know,
3: bouncing after 10 years.
0: Yeah. Okay, for you, that...
3: Um, look, I guess I sort of feel that, you know, it, it's kind of this thing of the, this focus that kind of opens up and then narrows, constantly opening up and narrowing down. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I often find... Um, you know, a lot of the inspiration I find is, is from, uh, from sort of imagery, like books and, and imagery in a book. And I might become obsessed with a particular book or, or even just an image, you know, one or two images in that sort of book as, as a kind of, you know, reference or just something, a, a photo that I've taken when I've, I've gone somewhere. So what I tend to find is that um, I tend to sort of focus, focus sort of in on that one particular thing and I'm very intensely, you know, interested in that. But then you kind of work through it, you sort of work it out of your system, and then you, uh, you know, moving on to the, you know, the, and then all of a sudden you're sort of open to the next thing to sort of to come in and, and take the place of that. So you're sort of moving through, for me, it's the process of moving through that all the time.
2: Yeah. Uh, and Nell? Yeah, I um, wholeheartedly concur with what the, both artists just said. I mean, when Heather said she just opens up to everything and, and, and everything she's ever seen and then empties her mind. that's dovetails perfectly and what Kate said, like it goes like that, very much so. And um it's a never ending dance between because you have to have an intention. You can just sit still and be curious. You have to have an intention. So and with that it comes materials and all those things. So you're making but then you have to adjust to the reality of what's in front of you which might not be matching your intention and it could take you somewhere else amazing or, and this is where the maturity of practice is, to safeguard the idea and think, oh didn't work, how am I going to do it a different way? Mm. And so that's the dance that um, we dance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And how do you choose what materials to use in that that process of opening yourself up and coming in? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. Um, I mean, this this show being titled Magic Object really... Wow. <laughs> the magic. magic object. <laughs> well object. Um, yeah, really resonated for me because, um, you know, as artists, we always have to have these, like, few sentences that describe your whole life. You know, <laughs> the artist statement. And in my, already in my artist statement, I said, I love the inherent magic and history of materials. That was already in my... Um, you know, my statement. So, actually, this is probably a really good time to read you all the materials that are in my um, presentation oh, yes. here yeah. because um, I do love materials very much. And so, in my show here is stoneware, earthenware, concrete, bronze, glass, underglaze, glaze, polyurethane, varnish, acrylic paint, enamel paint, <laughs> spray paint, fabric paint, pigment, varnish, oxide, bondcrete, decal, silver leaf, gold leaf, copper, glitter, wood. Branches. I feel like a rapper. I said, I said this. <laughs> Dried flowers, natural and synthetic feathers, ruffia pom pom, the Financial Times, gold-plated aluminium, stainless steel, epoxy joining compound, foam, rubber, canvas, leather, wire, Vietnamese straw hat, newspaper, silver duct tape, ribbon, wool, cotton, cobwebs, buckwheat, crocodile skin, natural pearls, metal and wooden stools. Wow. So if I. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're the catalogue uh, designer's nightmare. Yeah, I, I am. No, but I am curious about materials and I think that list illustrates that I'm not just on a one-track path yeah. with um you know, I saw in the newspaper yesterday cuz there was a story about Lunganun, you know, being here and and then it, listed a few other artists, and it said ceramic, uh, Sydney, art, Sydney ceramic artist. I was like, I'm not a ceramic artist. <laughs> and, you know, and I do interviews, and you're like, oh, so you're a video artist? And I'm like, that's the third video I've made. Everyone settle down. You know? And I think this thing about uh, being a materially specific artist is wonderful. I have the utmost respect for artists who go deeper and deeper with one medium. I mean, Kawara is one of my heroes. But for me that commitment to the unknown and that curiosity is boundaryless with materials. Um, They're they're, they're all... So the idea uh, leads
1: you to the material?
2: Well, okay. Sometimes I have an idea and I find a material to realise that idea and sometimes the material tells me what to make of it and every um, degree Exactly. I'm the same. I'm exactly the
4: same. And sometimes you pause or you use some old lump that you've got in the studio and sometimes (laughs) you're a little bit richer and so you go out and buy... A different sort of lump for it <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky you get to go to the foundry If yeah. not you sit at home and sew it yourself yeah mm. or draw or
3: draw draw yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. um yeah i mean i have got a fairly you know sort of similar to what Mel was saying is that you know over the years i've used quite an extensive <laughs> repertoire of materials and I think there's certain materials that just at a particular time really speak to you and mm-hmm. and uh, are really um, fulfilling. You know what you're what you're trying to achieve, and um, but I, I but I guess I'm always I sort of always feel a bit um, like restless with them as well. In that you sort of work you sort of work the potential of a particular couple of materials for a while, and then you just sort of realise that gradually you're moving on towards a, another, and that you're. You know, and then also that you're um, opening up to other materials at what the potential of them might be. In, in a way, I sort of still use... I've, I guess, you know, if I look back over the whole span of my, of my sort of art practice, it's these sort of materials that I still use now that I was using, you know, like 15 years ago... Um, it's just that they may play like a lesser part or a different role like their role sort of has changed um and then I'm always you know sort of just maybe dabbling with something you know something new to see what if I if it feels right and if I feel that I can I can kind of work with it so yeah it's so I guess it's always um it's that thing of like the focus narrowing and opening up Constantly around around everything.
1: So when you go into the studio and you're you're thinking, oh, I'm going to make something for the rig rig design prize. Do you think materials or do you think ideas or do, or do they mesh at some point or they mesh from the beginning?
3: Yeah, they sort of. I guess it's the thing that um, you know. This you sort of think. Well, I'm making this this kind of body of work and it it's it's going to be these um, you know functional sculptural objects and and at the moment. You know, I'm really challenged by by what I can do with this particular resin, and, and particularly because they told me I couldn't do that. And uh, you know, so I, I and I and I wanted to, I guess, with this body of work, I wanted to to be like to, to be the most sort of ambitious use of that material that I'd ever mm. tried before. And and I feel that it's been a gradual. You know, I've been working with that material for that particular one only for maybe sort of three or four years and, and I sort of feel that it's the culmination of just the, all the, exper- you know, the starting with like a little experiment and, and getting, you know, making it bigger and bigger and and then, uh, you know, and I sort of feel like in this is where I, you know, I kind of, you know, there were one or two pieces that didn't make it because I, I, I couldn't resolve it in that Particular frame time, and it sort of still drives me insane that I wasn't able to, you know, resolve you it. I haven't proved them wrong. I yet. haven't proved them fully <laughs> wrong yet, and and then I'm thinking, well, how do I, you know, how do I do that now? So, mm. so yeah. So I, th- I think that's um, pretty much sums it up. Yeah.
1: Now I'm curious now because you said something, Heather, and it just slipped by initially. And you said, "Those Banksherman down then there, what are they doing?" Yeah. <laughs> And I, do you, are they doing anything? Do you think, I mean, is there, and I know that all of you, in the sense there's a performative element in everything that you do, you, you create sort of stage sets, Kate, Mel, you're, you're a performer as well and you create spaces and your Banshee are about to become alive in, in a performance. Sorry. Is that performative element part of the curiosity of what the materials can do next? I know. Well, oh. <laughs> well, that's clear.
4: <laughs> no, um, as much as I'm driven by these various materials, and, and and materials definitely have a potent importance in many ways, um, symbolic importance, etc., etc. Um, like you use wood, a particular sort of wood mm-hmm. for a particular reason. Um, that's not what was driving that work down there. that work really came out of ooh, that work really came out of um, a, a big theme or a, a, um, an idea that i've been working with for a few years which is um, which comes from being a mature artist and having worked for a long time, I decided to um, embrace the i Embrace the experience that I have of being quite nervous in the world and um, uh, to look at extreme emotions like anxiety or nervousness or euphoria or delirium or those things, those other things yeah. that we all yeah. use mm. to, to make their work and to investigate those, I, those states of being. In in a way that um, in, in a, a very common way in within the world of art to to think about how we drive our creative process, I think we all have extreme emotions. Some of us have more extreme in, or intense emotions or ways of being than others. Um, than some of us are more intense than others. Was what I'm saying, and we and go down certain tracks, but. Um, And as a society, we obviously swallow a lot of that so that we can all get along politely and be nice and don't cry in the shopping centre, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. (laughs) I think um, that um, those intensity intense states are what makes the art. That's where art comes from, Mm. whether it's um, extreme obsessiveness to be ordered, like Chris Bond was telling me about the man who did those incredible mm. books. That He was talking about how he needs to be really, really precise and ordered all of the time or whether it's because you're really sloppy and crazy and you want to let it out that way. Uh, sorry, long answer. Um, I'll get to the point which was... Um, Forgotten. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay. Right, and then, um, and so closing your eyes. So you, you um, so you're holding all of these intense in, um, feelings inside, and you, we. This is a familiar trope within the arts. You close your eyes so that you can find your inner muse and mm. go inside, mm. etc. And um, so I decided to take the motif of the eye, obviously quite, um, <laughs> which is quite obvious, and um, to. Um, actually um, plunder my own um, 20 years of um, looking around at everything and um, gathering uh, various shapes and forms and make a body of work that had that, that uh, talked to that, closing your eyes, opening your eyes, gathering things in through the eyes, closing your eyes, keeping them inside, dealing with, yeah. with whatever's going on in there and then that comes out as, 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 your, as your work, as your art. Mm. As I went on and made those um, Banksia men, I realised that they were an incredibly potent metaphor for an artist because they their eyes all over and, um, and also a potent metaphor for curiosity which, and also um, for us as... for our human condition in that they really are just sort of big lumps of... <laughs> Eyes and on, on little precariously balancing sticks, which is a bit of a theme of mine.
1: Yeah. And Kate, does, does, I mean, they do look like stage sets. You're, are you interested in that performative thing of bringing them alive with activating them? Um,
3: not, not really. I guess I've always... One of the things that I've always um, been really... kind of, you know, remember from my childhood is that I, my parents were, you know, the, all through my childhood. My parents were building their house. And it was very, you know, it was a very grand, designy, inspired sort of house, <laughs> and they still haven't finished. You know, like, very uh,
1: grand design Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be
3: like, you know, if, if Kevin had started going there in the first series, you know, he'd still be going back now and the other. <laughs> and and so they they were always bringing. Um, you know, like those kind of architecture and interior magazines home. And and even from a, the age of sort of five, I, I always sort of sort of enjoyed like flicking through them and and I just liked the feeling that the different environment you know, I'd look at like, you know, so it was in the eighties when they'd started. So at first I was looking at all these kind of very, you know, eighties kind mm-hmm. of bathrooms and actually just really liked the different Kind of feelings that those interiors created in me, so, so I guess in a weird way the the kind of art that I make when i 've done these sort of very full um, like room environment type installations, I'm not really thinking of it as a as a stage set it 's more i think it 's sort of more going back to that thinking about how different environments have made me just sort of made me sort of feel and, and being interested in the mm the
1: feeling
2: yeah,
1: that they create. An emotive state. Yeah. yeah. And no, because you are, you do bring your things alive through performance.
2: Yeah, I'm not particularly interested in them being stages. I'm interested in the opposite, how you break down the barrier between, like, an audience and a performer, like, something so embodied that... I'm interested in offering experience. In fact, I think the performances that I've done are, are more experiences. I think of mm. them more like that than performances... Because performer has this, this sense that I'm out here and you're there. Mm. And as, and with my work here, they're not, that's not really a stage. I mean, I want you to go in and feel them. And, and the same thing for me when I have made my performance work um, and probably one of the biggest shifts in my practice is I'm not afraid of being felt anymore. And you're not afraid of being felt? Felt. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And and so like the oh maybe it's oh well we've lost the images. But you saw in that um the video I was I was bashing up that fly with the cricket bat and <laughs> <laughs> You have magic. <laughs> That's my magic cricket bat wand. Um, so yeah, the first image was actually it was a sculptural work and um do we have it? You have the, yeah. yeah, great. <laughs> Should I go forward? So it's back. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a work I made in 2002, and it was a sculpture, and it was shown at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, and then I had shown it in various places and schlepped it around and paid for really expensive storage and a new crate to be made, and I was sick of it. Because, you know, that's the thing, like, you know, when your old work keeps you from making new work, it drives you crazy. So I decided it was time to reincarnate this work and make a new work. And the fly, it's called Fly As High As Me, so it was a fly as tall as me, so it was like a self-portrait and taking this obscure little ugly thing. But if you actually look at a fly, they're incredibly beautiful. I think I'll get to your answer eventually, don't (laughs) worry. Um, And so... In this video, I really beat it. Like I wasn't mucking around. I really, I, 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 I was angry, and I swore in it like a sailor on speed, and um. And you can really feel it, and it's very interesting too, because I think in Western society, probably in a lot of societies, it's really unpalatable for women to be angry, mm,
0: mm.
2: and so I think we're with, I'm that that through various things that have happened in my life. I'm just less frightened of being felt. And that, like you had some anxiety or nervousness and then there are things that you might have in your work but you'll have little symbols for them and they'll be hidden and very cryptic and God hope no one ever knows they're there but <laughs> you know that they're And I'm like, fuck it, let's just like go for it. And, you ha- and so, something, you know, I do, I'm a real art and music nerd and one person who really inspires me is Nick Cave, the singer, because, like, he, like you, he walks out on stage and you feel, you feel something. And there's lots of performers who do that. But the other person who really influenced me a lot is Colin McConnell. We talked about him extensively yesterday. He's a painter from New Zealand. And he made very symbolic kind of paintings, and no one really understood what he was trying to say. And he said, I just have to start saying what I mean. I'm going to use words. And that's where... He, so, I just, even though I'm not saying it in words, yeah, that division, just say what you mean. It sounds so simple. Like, it's like your mother saying, just be yourself. But it's so hard to be yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard and so easy, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's my yeah. answer.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a, I mean,
1: artists who have been a good model for being curious. So, mm. Kate's identified Nick Cave and Colin McCann.
3: Kate, for you. Oh no! This is like this is terrible because we we sort of went through this at our lunch the other day, and I said I always blank out when I when I get asked about um, inspirational sort of uh, artists and that sort of thing. But but you said
1: on the day you'd know.
3: Yeah, I <laughs> the day I'd know, but I you know then I just sort of pushed it out of my mind so so that I can embarrassingly blank out again. Um, but I've been artist that I've, I've I guess. Um, you know like the artists that i really love tend to to be like someone that's uh, i've looked at a lot over these is Annette net messenger and mm. i guess i love the the way that she uses material and she creates these sort of grand um you know like she sort of creates just these quite beautiful just small works but also these really grand installations and and really working you know fabric and and that that sort of mixed media aspect so yeah so it's kind of weird i mean i i look i i love artists but i also love um you, you know like a lot of things that are not very fine arty you know like a lot of the inspiration and come for me comes from like you know decorative arts mm, uh, mm. and fashion and um you, you know just kind of and, and i sort of feel like it is sometimes for me it's a thing it's it's a bit um restless you know like at a particular time it's a particular thing but it's, it's constantly in flux and, and changing so mm. in, in a way yeah. I don't have any really you know I don't know if I have any particular long term art loves there's just always a lot of like people who at a certain point were significant but then they you know I'm always looking for the next one <laughs> I'm very you know I'm a bit You're very curious. <laughs>
4: Heather
1: yeah. what about
4: you uh <laughs> Top of the pops um, I like yeah. lots of art I look at all art all the time mm. everywhere yeah I like high art fine art folk art everything I like lots of modernists and I find that i'm drawn to art that has something profound or gives you some wonderful experience of deep thinking, who we are, what are we doing here, that answers those sorts of questions. So everyone from Gauguin through to Colin McCann and um, Anselm Kiefer even, and um, you know, people who are really so deeply involved in their work that they actually find it hard to do anything else really. Mm.
1: Mm. And asking and questions after all is the nature of being curious. So
4: Indeed, that's yes. right, yes. Mm. Yeah.
1: What about other disciplines? Because Obviously scientists are, are very much about being curious and curiosity is at the core of a scientific practice. What's the difference, do you think, between being a, an artist and being a scientist? Is it similar or is it different or is it, are there some areas that are congruent?
4: Well, we're all coming from that curious and that wonder, but I think with... Well, I think as artists, you choose to be an artist because you don't want to actually... You don't need to be pinned down... I think we're, I think artists work in a very similar way to scientists,
2: mm.
4: um, but if we don't want to get to improving their methodology, we can just chuck it <laughs> <laughs> or throw something else in oh, yeah, or <laughs> make the penis longer so the man stands up <laughs> Not scientifically accurate. Okay, do it.
1: It has a reason.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah, well, I think, you know, that the, there's sort of an, you know, a sort of an inquiry and, and a kind of a method, but we're sort of fortunate that no one... Yeah, no one really wants a, a to finish... You know, we don't really have to prove anything, whereas... Mm. But, I, I mean, I think the thing about science, too, is that it's constantly... You know, knowledge is constantly shifting and, and changing, and um, it's kind of funny because often, you know, like like artists and their work is often sort of made fun of in a wider, you know, sort of context. But, you know, like when the the grant sort of, Published, you know, some newspaper will will hit on mm. it and make fun of it, and and often too, like certain aspects of science are made fun of in that way, like and mm. and it's like the you know like they'll hit on some study saying, oh, can you believe that they've wasted all this money, you know, looking at this? So mm. there's probably a lot of like strange um, be- because they are both very curious sort of things, and it's asking uh, questions, and you know, like at a certain point, the the wider world. You know, like sort of ridicule can cut, you know, can ridicule what, what both are, are doing. But I guess ultimately, yeah, people expect more definitive answers from science, whereas for, with us, they'll they're just, you know, what, what you know, they're, they're happy
2: just to let they're us looking for be it. weird. Yeah. Imagination. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. More questions is generally what comes out of the whole process.
2: no? Yeah, in curiosity leads to more curiosity. It's one way traffic, it's never mm. to the known. Mm. Like, curiosity and knowledge, they're not really um, compatible. Mm. Because once you know something, then you don't need to be curious about it. And and to know when curiosity is probably appropriate is the most interesting thing, because it's probably not going to be very smart to be curious about what it's like to go through red lights, traffic lights, because mm. you're going to work it out really quickly, mm. or if you mm. live to tell the story. <laughs> but it might be curious if someone else goes through one in front of you instead of going, you and you might, well you know, you don't know. Mm. So you don't know. Oh, that's not answering about science. I don't have anything to say about science. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's well, just,
1: yeah. I, what I love is that the Mars rover is called Curiosity. It's such a nice idea that this thing is landed on, the, on Mars and it's travelling around finding out all the information. just trying to uncover information. The other thing, though, um, that we were talking about in terms of science that I thought was was interesting is is the uncovering of the mysterious. And I know that all of you, in a sense, talked about that, that the art, the process of of making art is uncovering the mysterious. And I know that scientists talk about that as well. Is that... And, Kevin, you you actually made a comment pretty much like that in in your your document. Is that, for you, a, a sort of a key... Driver uncovering the mysterious or at least allowing it to present itself?
4: Uh, that is the driver. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, looking for. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the slides are working again. Yesterday, when, when we were having problems with the microphone, Kevin Murray said, you know, it's quite good that the microphones, if, if the slides are working, but the microphone's not working. Well, today the microphones are working, but the slides are having problems.
2: I love it, heckling for slides. Kind of at that, yeah. go the
1: opposite way. Yes, <laughs> that way, yeah. Almost
4: there. Uh, do you want me to talk to them? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you want. to. So, this is a drawing that I made um, a couple of years ago when I was a very when I was about twenty-two or so. This is not the answer to the question, but here we go. <laughs> um, I um, read a book by C.S. Lewis, which was a retelling of the story of Cupid and Psyche, and um, uh, Cupid being a god and Psyche being an ordinary woman, and um, they were, got together, and, um, but the rules of the game were that Psyche was never allowed to look at Cupid because then... That was the rule. But um, egged on by her pretty miserable sister, she came into the room in the night time with her candle and the hot wax dripped onto the man's chest and he woke up and saw that she had seen him and beheld his fabulous beauty and so then they were forever separated. So I found that to be quite... It's a, it's a very potent, um, obviously, metaphorical story about looking and um, seeing beauty and... Uh, and not, and so I had read this book when I was 24. It's actually the last novel that C.S. Lewis ever wrote. a small novel, and he held it close to his heart for um, 40 years. That story. That's that's the story that I heard, and um, and I had held that story for 30 years close to my heart. A particular line from that book, which was um, about being very careful with happiness because the bubble might break at any moment. And it's a very powerful line. And I really needed to... Um, I just... So 30 years later, I it came out as a drawing. And... Um, uh, and I'll show you another picture. Um, I'll show you... Um, this is a sculpture that I made, which is called Vanilla. And um, I was telling Nell and Kate the story the other day that I uh, saw a very beautiful young woman in the street and I raced up to her. Her name's Astrid Connolly, and she's actually been the muse for my uh, very large project I'm working on, which is called Nervous, that I talked about before, and the Banksy men are one of the works which, are, which is in Nervous. And Astrid, I, I just saw her, I spoke to her, I said I'm making a sculpture of a girl who's ensconced in an ice cream and I'd really like you to be my model and, um, uh, and eventually we, um, we got to meet and she told me that she was a beautiful soprano singer and that she would like to work with visual art, uh, even though she's very, very blind or she can see things that, that are this far away and um, so she's become my muse for or nervous and um, I might read you the list of materials actually just <laughs> slip back to that um, thing because um, it was fun making the materials list for this particular work because um, because it had a girl in it and um, I think seeing as they're in here Sorry, and sorry um And so I wanted to make the list of materials. It is a correct list, but I've shifted the wordage a little. So water, and if you could imagine, this is what a girl is made of, water pipes, um, muslin, paper, binder, pink pigment, marble dust, and and then the three small photographs of Astrid Connolly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, can I, I
1: would ask you a question that, that Lisa Havila asked in the last one, because I think, again, it's about being curious and the experience of being in this biennale. I mean, it must have been... You must have wondered, oh, gosh, what's, what's going to happen? Got, what, what, will, what will be the outcome? How will it all develop? Can you talk about that? But How important has it been to be in the biennale, this biennale, uh, to work with Lisa and to um, see how your work developed in the process of this magic object... Frame,
3: Kate. Do you want to start? Um, well, I, I sort of had a, a bit of a, an unusual experience. I was the sort of last-minute ring-in to the to the biennale. <laughs> um, Lisa, like I, I've actually, I was in the the two thousand and eight biennale, and Lisa sort of had a little rule that she wasn't going to have any artists that had been in a biennale before. So, um, so even though Lisa and I, you know, have worked together a lot in the past, she she sort of um, she you know explained to me that. Um, you know, she, she was actively like trying to not look at what I was doing at the time. <laughs> and um, uh, anyway, she, she happened to be in, in Melbourne and, and she was, uh, Karen uh, Woodbury very kindly, you know, made her go and have a look at my um, installation that was, that's here that was originally at the NGV. And uh, and and Lisa sort of decided that she she couldn't um, you know she couldn't sort of deny it. <laughs> and uh, so so sorry, Lisa, I'm like spilling all the you know all the the, the secrets. So it's, it's a true story. Yeah, it's a true story verified by Lisa Slade here. Um, so so I'd sort of already made this body of work uh, sort of unusually for a a design based. Uh, prize that that's a recurring prize in Melbourne, and um, and and for me it had been like a really um, like great experience to to be given a, a platform to do a really ambitious work, to do things you know again to do things I'd never done before, particularly the big sort of wallpaper print you know being a very well you know both um, Art Gallery of South Street and and NGV having resources to make. You know, like, for me to do that off my own bat would have been impossible. It was just too... cost too much. So so having that opportunity to do that was really great. And then, um, you know, like, lit- literally, like, the, the sort of week that Lisa asked me to participate was the week all the... everything for the catalogue was due. So it was all <laughs> just a, a kind of mad uh, rush. And it was, just, it was just good timing that... Um, that the, the work that I'd, I'd done fit in really well with the, yep. the theme, yes.
2: Mm. No? No, it's been a joy. I'm feeling pretty loved up right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah um, I had been working on these works for two two years or a year and a half before Lisa asked me to be in the biennial, so I um, had... What well, didn't make the work really for the biennial, I, I was just making them anyway because I just make work all the time and I did lots of other projects in that time, but time frame but one, um, well two things to say is that my work here feels like in a very real sense without being too melodramatic like my whole life's work like it's got every all the symbols and shapes and forms and things that I've used in other works like there's little blowflies in there which I've been and there's teardrops and there's Text and birth and death and masculinity, femininity, light and dark, cycles of life—all there. <laughs> Nothing's missing. And um, but one other thing I want to mention that was been really special for me in relationship to this biennial is that um, I got to go to Ernabella, which is where Pepe is from. Ernabella Arts, and I made four of my um, works there. And Lisa actually called me and I was there and said, you know, would you like to be in the biennial? And the Art Gallery of South Australia facilitated my visit there. Hmm. So you need permission to go on the land, and it was really, really life-changing without it being, you know, cliche of that. It was amazing, and uh, I'm very grateful.
1: Wonderful. (laughs) And Heather? Uh,
4: um, At the Biennale is... It's wonderful. It's a privilege. It's wonderful to have a... um, to have a, a big space, lots of lighting, and um, a platform to mm. show your work. Yeah, mm. very good.
1: And you, you're these works are going to be, go have another life after this too. That's you don't correct, think? actually.
4: Yeah. Yes, the the Banksy men will be going to um, Cambridge in the National Gallery there in September, for an ex- uh, with the other seven sculptures that are in Nervous. So there'll be an exhibition for a, a few months, and but at the beginning there'll be a live performance. So those Banksy men will alive uh, so it's actually really nice for them to have their own serious outing out yeah. <laughs> as, as sculptures yeah
1: right mm. opened onto the world mm. right okay that's fantastic thank you so much now we're going to open it for questions I'm sure you will have a lot of questions and there are microphones going and we have a question right at the front oh two three four five
2: what you shared with the and what they shared with you. well you know I was only there for a little while a week you know and not long but um, I just really the visit was intended just for me to hang out but I couldn't really help it I rolled up my sleeves and I was in the clay as soon as I got there and made two, weeks, two works in the first few days um, it's well time's different you know, so time's slow so and there's just hanging around and making work next making work next to any artist is very powerful. Making works in the same space, out of the same materials, at the same time, really beautiful and wonderful thing to do. And um, from what little I understand, so much of indigenous culture is about looking learning. So you not you don't have to speak, you just look and learn and there's such beautiful immediacy in clay anyway it's not mediated by a tool, it's your hands on this, so you both, Peppa and I were both there with our hands in, in, in dirt and it's um, amazing but there were some uh, younger women who were pretty new to the art Centre and I taught them to do a little bit of hand building, but not long just a few hours and they really enjoyed that it was really, really wonderful um, Yes I was thinking thank you for and
1: generous with your
2: discussion you welcome to hear from
4: you Um, With the
0: the the side kind of image that we saw up there, on the theme of curiosity, it reminds me of the Barbie dream house. (laughs) Young girls can't have it. Could could each of you talk about that role of the childhood and um, playing that
3: happens in your process? You go, Barbie. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, the great thing about being an artist is that you're allowed to sort of play all the time as an adult, and maybe there's an, you know, there's a sort of an, an element of, um, you know, like never wanting to let go of that, that sort of playfulness, but I, I sort of also, I sort of think of it as, um, you know, like I've worked part-time in a, a school for a long time as my, my sort of day job, and you know like there's all this sort of talk about learning styles and you know that different people have different approaches and when I think about my own sort of learning style like I was always you know I always went to very straight kind of schools and I always you know had this fantasy that my parents had been a bit more wacky and alternative and sent me to like a Steiner school or homeschooled me or something because um, for me like I always found like I mean maybe I'm a bit ADHD. I always found it a little bit hard to be in that classroom, you know, a very straight classroom environment. And you know, going back to that idea of curiosity, I mean, for me, you know, like the role I guess that art sort of played during my childhood was that you know I'd look at these art, you know, art history books and things, and um, and and I'd look at like visual materials, and that would pique my curiosity, and I'd want to learn about those. Specific things, and then I'd want to make things and, and sort of play and and respond. So, you know, I guess that's kind of my relationship to it.
2: Yeah, um, I my um, primary school education was diabolically asture and boring. <laughs> oh, I mean torture. Not much play actually. So, and and the community I grew up in, there was no culture. Well, oh, you know, of course, there's sporting culture. There's only two TV stations. So I watched a lot of cricket. <laughs> Hence the cricket bat. That was my father's cricket bat. Seriously, there it comes out. Um, but, yeah, we had orange trees and fruit trees, and I used to look at the fruit and think that there was faces on each piece of fruit. And in the strawberry patch, I used to imagine, like, the strawberries were quite animated and had faces. And if you look at my my work here, one of the yeah. central characters is a strawberry with a face on it, so... <laughs> yeah it's that child the the things you connect to as childhood and being animated and alive and very real for you are still very real for me today and i I still see objects as having their own vibration and life and personality very clearly so yeah mm. Mm. Heather?
4: i just generally childhood and how it plays out in our, in our, in my practice mm. um mm. Mm. When I first became let myself become an artist, because I'd been a bookseller for a very long time, and I was a bit bored and desperate that there must be something more to life. My son was two years old, and that played a very big part in how I made work, because I started out wanting to explain how the world worked to him, and I even. As literally as making things that had moving parts and coals in them, and, and um, I think I'm so old now I can't remember my own childhood. But his childhood plays into my work all of the time, and um, uh, yeah. And actually, in my Nervous Project, he's working with me, which is which is really lovely. Mm. Mm.
1: And there's that wonderful quote of Casper saying that he wanted to, at the end of his life, draw again like a child and reveal that sense of wonder and and the, and the surprise of finding and revealing things. Yeah, wonderful. Casper, did you have a question? Yeah. Um, thank you all for a really
0: fascinating discussion. That's a really one really a question for the whole panel. Um, I'm curious too.
4: See it as being an invention, sense of constructing something new, or is the process of discovery, or which, or No. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, I see it as both, actually. All mm. the way through, it's definitely discovery, but I absolutely do think of myself as an inventor. Yes, yes, I and I, I quite I like when I realise that I embrace that wholeheartedly. I do like inventing things, mm. new things in the world, exactly. Mm. and as as because the process is often quite long you're, you're always um, you're discovering you're always just sort of um, you start out with the tiniest gem of an idea often mm. and it's a material yeah. matching with something some thought and, and an object or, or a few objects or a feeling and then as as I go on making the sculptures. Um, you, uh, you discover because you're thinking about how this is going to present out there and you're, and you're, and you're thinking about the process and, and what you're actually making and so you, you research Bank ears or you research such and such and you're, you discover and you think about how people will read something and so you're putting yourself in other people's shoes and so you're thinking, oh, they're going to see that like this and that way or... And sometimes you think, oh my god, that's terrible, and then quickly change do <laughs> or, you, or uh, divert. So I uh, definitely a, a combination of both. But yeah, I am, I do like to think that I am, am an inventor.
3: Okay. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if I really have anything extra to add to that. I think. I, yeah, I think it encapsulated
2: me. Yeah, yeah I. Um, I don't think I make new things in the sense like. You know, like new, like a new car, like new, that kind be of no... Gross. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Um, but everything's new and fresh, and if you're curious, everything's new. Like even this moment right now, like never to be repeated again. This group of people, as we are right now, everything's new. So I try and take that kind of big new to the studio. Oh, well, it's already there. I don't have to take it. Yeah, so. That's your tagline
1: on your email is Forever Joy. Which exactly. It pretty encapsulates that,
2: Yeah, it? yeah. My new mantra is, what would David Bowie do? <laughs> <laughs> That's my one for this year. It used to be doing... Yeah. Before that, I used to have a big sign on my studio that said, make the work. I think, well, just make it, just make it. But this year, it's, what would David Bowie do? If I'm ever at crossroads, I just go where David would go. It's like the fear... How, it's, you have to have strategies in your studio to, to be less fearless. Mm. Yes. You know, if you're at those crossroads, so, like, what are you going to do? Also, when I'm at crossroads, that's, sorry, this is not really your question, but it evolved out of it. Um, you know, I think which path takes me closer to myself and which path takes me away from myself? And not the me, me, but, which, you know, and in the me is everyone. Bye. bye, bye. <laughs> Never to be repeated Enjoy again. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, next question.
1: Wonderful. Other questions? Yes, up, right at the back. Um, I You're going to be recorded,
4: so. <laughs> I have
0: a question actually about colour, because you talked a lot about material, but particularly if you think of Cape work and, and uh, Heaven work, one is very bright in colour and the other more you know, black. and more black. Or <laughs> 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 white. Um, so you do a and also possibly now
3: talking about colour? Um, oh, well, look, I, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that I love colour. <laughs> and uh, and I have no um, fear of colour. Um, I, I guess the other thing about my, my parents' grand designing house, it was very minimal, it was very um, Zen Japanese-inspired. So I grew up in this very... Um, you know, it was all like wood and um, white kind of walls environment. So I think it's, it's a bit of a rebellion, my love of colour, you know. And, I'm, and I'm also I'm just curious about how different colours sort of work together and, and when I do all my... The, when I'm sort of making the, the sort of resin works, the way that you work with the colour is that it's liquid and you add the dye in as you're in the casting process... And, and I'm always, um, you know, I just have this vast array of pigments and, I, and I'm always going, oh, what's going to happen if I put this colour and that colour together? And then when I was doing, doing the, the wallpaper design, I, you know, it's actually a collage of a lot of little um, past sort of works that I've, components of sort of past works that I've made all put together. And, and originally I, I was envisioning this, this much more subtle, um, pastelly Thing And then just as I kept on, you know, cutting and pasting and, and um, replicating, it, it just ended up, for some reason, I just can't get away from the crazy rainbows. So <laughs> I, I just figure I can't deny it. I've just got to run with it. And it's probably just, you know, like to, to really annoy my minimalist parents.
1: <laughs> what do they think of your work now?
3: <laughs> well, they, they, they're always very... Um, Shocked. Well, no, they're very encouraging. You know, the, the wonderful thing about my parents is that they, they have no, they're not they're not artistic. They've got no sort of art in their in their background, and they they always just said to my brother and myself, you know, just we just want you to do what makes you happy in life. So, you know, we we don't care, we don't care what what you do. So, you know, so they're always very. Um, I- encouraging, and and the you know, and the good thing is that I'm a grown up and I have my own house now, where I can be, you know, <laughs> they can they can still live out the Japanese minimalist dream, and <laughs> and I can be crazy. And
4: black. <laughs> uh, black uh, I, black's something I fell into because, and I I, I do actually wonder myself, but uh, I. Started my training as an artist as a printmaker, and if anyone's here as he a printmaker, they will know that printmakers are always searching for the deepest, darkest black. It's sort of like this holy grail, of yeah. doing the, yeah. the velvety black. Yes, exactly, the <laughs> velvety black. And so, I think that it, it, it certainly stems from there. And when I moved from doing printmaking, and I've never made a print since. I into sculpture because I just felt so at home-making sculpture. I did, st- I did start to use colour. And then I went at the age of 37, so quite old, um, uh, on my first residency internationally and spent a lot of time, five months actually, going to the Louvre every day. And I fell in love with form as opposed to narrative. And so I decided that I wanted to pair my work back, and so colour went, and I, and I and I used black. And every now and again, there's white. And I do love colour, and um, I'm actually learning. I, I like to think that um, it's a bit of a cop-out, but I'm very really bad at foreign languages, and I, I've given up trying to pretend that I can speak French or Italian or anything like that, but um, I've decided that I'll learn the language of colour. And um, so um, I'm in my drawing and I'm doing a little bit of painting as well. I um, I go and stand in the the art supply store in front of the paints and and just want to eat them all up. But I'm doing it one by one.
1: Mm. Black and white with red. you wear a lot of colour. Not today, but... You know. Yes,
4: yeah. yes, I do, yes. Mm. Yeah, but it's, it was... It, so it's really... It really is a, um, a formal thing, the mm. use of black. Mm. And now:
2: Yeah, I love colour too. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to use it, but I use it very judiciously. And I use a lot of black and white in my work, and that's partially because I'm trying to make the colour in the meaning mm. and through the, the colour happens in your own mind, so in the content somewhere. That you can imagine sounds or meanings, not imagine, they're just there. Mm. And then um, I use a lot of black and white with one other color, so um, a lot of black and white and gold, and the gold symbolizes so that nothing actually is black or white, that you know when does night become night? you know at what moment do you call it night? and that nothing nothing's absolute in that sense. And so I've used gold a lot to, to me that. Me, that everything's gold, and then, or in the video you just, of me beating up the fly, I was wearing red. So between black and white, life and death, there's blood, there's flesh, you know. So I use the black and white with another colour, and a lot of the works in my presentation here are black and white. Mm. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yep. Certainly. For me, it's quite political in the exhibition,
0: the use of colour. Mm. And Kate, the title of Kate's work, "Ornamental Crimes," is drawn directly. You and I have talked about this. so This is my reading. You can correct me. I'm pretty sure she's drawing it from Adolf Loos. Adolf Loos, in 1910, gave a lecture where he said that ornament was crime, and one of the greatest ornaments was color. And he accused primitive cultures using inverted commas, iron. Oh yeah, he didn't uh, um, of being excessive, exuberant in the use of color and patination and hence overly identified with the feminine. So I I see the colouring exhibition as a retort to modernism. I see it as a retort to those kind of ways of essentialising or dividing, dualising practices and histories. So Ramesh to, the next to me Ramesh's work is flagrantly colourful and yesterday we spoke about the polychrome and Ramesh's work being uh, reminiscent of the polychrome in particularly um, Hindu temples in Tamil Nadu and just as Luz hated those because they were in there and so I think, you know, Luz was essentially Kate's parents, if you see what I (laughs) mean Luz was the last Kate's parents and they were the last adult Luz's (laughs) ideas
2: but I also love that he was
0: Viennese, because an inspiration on Kate's work has been the Natural History Museum of Vienna has the, Mm. the largest number of taxidermed animals in the world and if you know Vienna it's a complete confection I mean, ornament and decoration is everywhere. So all those things kind of play out for me in the show. There's no chromophobia, there's no fear of colour in the show, but the artists are kind of, even if they're not consciously doing that, it, it does become, colour does become really political. Mm.
1: Chromophobia, word for the day. Ross! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. Uh, my cat has curiosity. <laughs> Is it alive? Is it alive? My cat's <laughs> alive, but my old dog, long gone, also had curiosity. Uh, and I suspect she dreamed. Although I can't be sure, but it looked like nightmares, the way she growled and <laughs> carried on her sleep. But, um, Curious about the link between curiosity and its application as, for example, imagination. Mm. And we haven't talked about imagination. We haven't. It wasn't one of my questions, but we ran out. But let's talk about imagination. What's the link between curiosity and imagination?
2: I used the word intention earlier. Mm. Imagination. And, you know, that childhood state, too, there's a lot of imagining and curiosity. I see them as completely same and interchangeable Is my experience in a studio practice. Mm
3: -hmm. I mean, I guess, you know, like, artists are probably, you know, like, along with the... Yes, it's like that... It's almost like you sort of feel... As a child, you you, sort of, you know, like, you talk to, like, a, a kid and they say the most, you know, like, outrageous kind of things... And but to them it, it's completely acceptable, and you know, and, it, and it's almost that thing that as you grow up, you know, you sort of get more, you know, as you enter, you know, you become sort of more cynical, and you know, almost like the in a way that sort of wonder and imagination, it's kind of like beaten out of you to a certain extent by realities. And um, I guess you know, like when you, when you sort of make the decision to be an artist, it's almost like you know saying no I I reserve the right to create this uncynical you know like love of of curiosity and imagining things and you know and, and like just letting your mind kind of wander into strange places and and um not being you know I I guess you know like one of the things that I love about being an artist is just having this space where I can I can just imagine all these fantastical things and and make them happen and I you know, I never, I never ever sort of really worry about um, what the the outside world's going to think about it, and and mm. you know, and I, I guess there's a lot of you sort of meet all these people and say, oh, I wish, you know, I'm so, you know, it's just not it great? You're an artist, it's so wonderful, and you know, and and I think it's because, um, you know, we've let ourselves, you know, we've given ourselves permission to imagine still, which is mm. really great, which so many people are sort of you know, kind of pushed down in the world and told not to and, yeah.
1: Mm. Licence to imagine.
3: Licence to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's good. Yeah. That's
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, the cabinets of curiosities really were a catalyst for imagination, weren't they? I mean, they were... You, you saw all these things and then it opened up the opportunity of putting them together, finding out how they would work, where you might go with your head once you've seen these wonderful little extraordinary things. Another question? Yes. (laughs) Poor Anna. (laughs) You'll be fit after this.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I really made my work in a way that um, there's lots of cultural references. If you know what they're looking at, um, there's Papua New Guinean mud marks, there's references to Japanese proto-historic sculpture, um, you know, cartoons. There's lots and lots of hopping between... Well, there's musical references. There's my old sun hat that's cut up, which is from Vietnam. You know, so there's lots, lots and lots, but at the same time, you don't need to know any of that because um, yeah, a smile is a smile and you can be any age of any culture or a face with a tear coming out of its eye, you know what it means. So I'm using a lot of things that might be culturally specific but I'm more interested in um, the universal connection that is um, so hardwired in us that you can't not uh, have a connection to a face. Mm-hmm.
3: And I you mean know, I guess it's always hard when you, you're sort of looking at um objects from a really diverse range of cultures that you sort of can't help but view them through the, the lens of your own background. So I, you know, and I and I and I think we always sort of have to be a bit kind of conscious of um, you know, like where the the influences are coming from and particularly around, you know, like this sort of bundakarma type collections and things, there's you know, like nowadays, you know, at the time they they were just kind of um, collecting them and not really thinking that much about what, you know, like they there was that sort of colonisation, you know, that colonial um, aspect to it as well. So, you know, it's quite like in a way they're sort of quite political and, and you know, you sort of have to start... Asking yourself, you know, like, well, the the lens, what's the lens that I'm viewing these through, and is it, you know, is it yeah. like culturally appropriate? Am I am I doing something, mm. you know, am I am I sort of misinterpreting, or am I stepping on someone else's, you know, cultural history? So I think there's actually a bit of anxiety, mm. you know, like museums and things. There's a lot of anxiety around them actually, and and around, you know, and I mean, I sort of think about it um, more and more, you know, as I sort of have made work over the years, those kind of things. And, yeah, you sort of start to get this this sort of an anxiety and you've almost got to kind of, like, just relax and say, look, I've just got to do what I'm going to do and and worry about the future, and hope for the best.
1: And, Heather, what about you in terms of culturally diverse influences?
4: Well, I'm an inveterate museum visitor and I'm looking at artefacts from cultures around the world all of the time mm. and they all feed into my ideas about the world and so into my work. But I am similar to you, Nell, and to it in that I'm looking for the universals that come from that, so that I'm always looking at... I, I'm just interested in the human condition and so you look at as many humans as you can and and... And some of the artifacts that you see from other cultures do end up uh, manifesting in your, in my work, um, in bits and pieces. And and you just be careful that you're not making anyone unhappy with yeah the yes. things that you put together.
0: Sorry, right, I'm full sort of stuff on curiosity and imagination. To me, they're incredibly separate things, and I'd like to explore the difference between
2: them as What's yeah. it, what's your difference then? Yeah.
0: Curiosity and imagination. And imagination. Yeah. Well, curiosity is you when know, you're, you're um, exploring or just looking at something and you're curious about it, and the imagination is when so you're it that and you trying to explore it much more.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, my, my practice, they, they lean on each
0: other.
1: Yes, yeah, I, I can see that. I can't see how they are one the same thing. Um, I'm not sure we actually said they're one of the same thing, but they are... For instance, the idea of the... Imagine, uh, the catalyst in the, in the wunderkammer is, is for imagination, that you see these objects, you're curious about them, and then they spark imagination and i think i got that sense from all three that all three artists that, well, I don't
2: get that sense. right okay <laughs> i think i said they were interchangeable and heather said they leaned on each other and it's just that yeah. endless yeah so you have a, a, a yeah an intention or an idea and then it's, you're curious about something and it's all yeah i don't think we have such linguistic um, categories that define them so distinctly. they seem so interwoven to me that's my experience
1: Usability.
4: And your imagine, imagination is always leading you on mm. to, what, to be more curious. Mm.
0: So.
4: Oh, question, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm curious how it feels to me your work is phenomenological, really. And um, I've
4: got great area of curiosity in the is science. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, history. very familiar investigative science or pseudoscience. And we're kind of seeing in museums now the work of scientists that are
0: never ever emphasized and coming into museums never made as art uh, but now I'm beginning to be looked at with fresh eyes side. I wonder how you react
4: Science in the in the art museum how that's in the sense of your own work what do you think about uh I I, I of science of science or the visuals of science being exhibited in an art gallery. Yeah. Because I've seen a lot of work with uh, where yeah. artists are working with scientists. Uh, and scientists who are artists. Perhaps it's just a mix up there between museum and gallery, because you know, um, uh, you
0: know, she presented the work of um, scientists, you know, like literally drawings by scientists which not made as artistic offerings that were uh, are nevertheless beautiful, intriguing, wonderful drawings mm-hmm. that were sort of made with a kind of art and crafts. should more of that and um, I
2: guess as investigators, you know, how, you, how you think about it? Look, art's a whore. It'll take anything. <laughs> Science, fashion, <laughs> architecture, you know, like you see musical scores. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing that... Um, like no genre that it won't um, mm. get in bed with, really. Voracious. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or, or actually, I mean, I'm making a joke, but actually it, there's nothing it can't contain. Yes, yeah. And that's the more powerful... Sorry, it doesn't answer your question specifically, but...
1: But we did say earlier when we were talking about art and science that there is a similarity in the, in the initial process, that they start from a similar point of view, they may have different endpoints but they they start from that same inquiring process
4: but it
1: yeah,
4: well it's a curatorial question really isn't it yeah. but, but as, as, as I'll give you a personal response as an artist um, I think if a curator chooses to show something that is not art next to art then so be it and if it informs mm. the art then great but we you wouldn't want to have to. You wouldn't want to have a takeover. <laughs>
1: Drawing a line in the sand. I think we've got time for one last question. If anybody has a burning question that they want to ask this superb panel we have today. No. Well, that was probably enough to quiet anybody, wasn't it? <laughs> well, first of all, can I ask you to join me in thanking? This- Thank